Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talks podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Joining me today is Christian Peterson. Christian is originally from Denmark, but he followed his followed his gut, followed his heart, and joined his current wife, Sonica, in Northern California, where they became partners in life and partners in business. So Christian is a relationship specialist, and he's led hundreds of relationship trainings around the world for singles, for couples, about relationships, communications, intimacy, sexuality, dating, you name it. He's got some really, really great insight, and both him and his wife specialize in working with couples. Uh, and working with people who are wanting to be in a relationship. So in this episode, we dive into a few different things. But what we really focus in on is what makes you attractive as a man? What makes you attractive as a man, whether whether it's in a heterosexual or homosexual relationship? What are some of the core tenets that make you attractive? What is unattractive? What's what's going to turn off? uh, You know, what turns off a woman fast? um, What turns them away? What really makes you attractive? What makes you strong? What makes you confident? What makes you charismatic? These are all things that we take a little bit of a deep dive into and and really start to unpack things like confidence and attraction, uh, especially when it comes to the opposite sex. So this is a great episode. Christian has a lot of insight on this. Plus, he's got a pretty cool accent, so that doesn't hurt to remember some of the information he's talking about. I always find that when people have accents, for some reason... I retain that information better than when I'm listening to somebody that's, you know, speaking North American. So anyway, that's a side tangent. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much to each and every single one of you that are listening to this episode. And thank you so much for sharing the podcast. It goes such a long way. I've been humbled and just blown away by the number of people that have been sharing the podcast recently through Instagram, through Instagram stories and through Facebook. Uh, I appreciate when you do that. And thank you so much for tagging me in it. So keep up the great work. Uh, And I hope that you have enjoyed some of the contests that we've run recently to the Bulletproof Conference and for uh, some of the books that we've uh, been giving away. We're definitely going to be doing more of that in the future. So stay tuned on that front. Uh, so without any further delay, I'd like to welcome in Christian Peterson. It's my total pleasure and honor. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. So uh, let's just dive in. I love to ask guests uh, the, this opening question. It seems to be a, a pretty big fan favorite, but tell us a story about a defining moment that made you who you are today. Yeah, great. That's a great opening question. All right. I, I have one that's in my mind. In my late 20s, I'm standing in the entryway of my small apartment in front of my girlfriend, soon to be ex-girlfriend. And this this woman was she was one I just I had so high I had such high hopes for her and me. I had just put up my best foot forward for months to court this woman. I was I was smitten with her. She looked uh she looked just like Michelle Pfeiffer, if you know that actress. And here we are, it's several months later, you know, we've been in relationship for, I don't know, six months, maybe. Here I am standing on this, it's like a rainy Wednesday night in Denmark, I'm from Denmark, and I'm breaking up with her. Because over the last month or two, I had had the same experience I had had with damn near every relationship I had been in, which at that time was a lot, that I just, I just felt nothing. You know, I'm standing here looking at this gorgeous, kind, amazing woman that I thought just a year or a year or a half, six months ago was going to be the happiness ticket. And I feel nothing. I'm like just leaden and dead inside. And I'm looking at her, breaking up with her, literally just telling her this this is not going to work. This is the end of it. And I'm watching her. You know, it's like I'm watching her, but kind of like out of my own body, watching her say that that's, this can't be it. You know, this this just can't be. The, this is this is what we're gonna do. We're just gonna let it go and give up like this. And I'm hearing myself say, "Yeah, yeah, we are. This is not this is not working out. This is not gonna happen." So I let her out of my apartment, and and I'm just standing there, and for the maybe for the first time ever, I'm really present to that I feel nothing 
like my insides are just turned to lead. And I think to myself, you know, shit, that just cannot be right. Yeah. So what was, what was some of the cause of that? Cause I think that a lot of men, you know, I think a lot of men can, can associate with that. And I think a lot of women have also experienced being on the other side of being with a man who maybe is emotionally cut off or um, not that he's not capable of experiencing emotions, but for whatever reason, he's in a space where he can't seem to access them. And I think that that's something that a lot of men experience. So do you, can you share any insight into what maybe had led to that, that feeling of, um, you know, I don't want to say emotional deadness, but, but emotional dampening? Yeah. Well, you know, it was just, I was just, I was just like all the other guys, you know, I was like a regular guy and there are many things that contributed to that. You know, you can, however far you want to go back, you know, we didn't do much emotion in my family. My dad was a really stoic, you know, stoic, hardworking fella. But just going like more recently around that time, whenever I felt something that was uncomfortable, intense, I, I just had no idea what to do with it. And my my favorite strategy throughout my whole young adult life and up till this point, my late 20s was just, well, my very first favorite was to either light a cigarette or go have some beers with my friends. And that's what allowed me to sort of dampen down this whatever turmoil was going on in me, inside of me at the time. And there were, you know, there were, it's not that there weren't things I felt anything about. There were lots of things I felt bad about. So, you know, another story I could have told in answer to your question was, was realizing around the same time and having a, sitting around a table, having conversations with my friends is how much all of my thoughts and conversations were outward directed. You know, I was totally judgmental person. The conversations we had around a table of, you know, a table of friends with a bunch of drinks and beers. It would always be about, you know, how stupid other people were and look at that guy, look at that lady. What about this one on television? What about this one in the media? You know, it was all outward oriented, thinking about what other people were doing. And when I was thinking about myself, it was all in terms of outward comparison, what I should be doing out there in the world with my life. My, my thoughts and my attention just never went inwards, ever. So I didn't have any, I didn't have any experience with it. I didn't have any tools to deal with, you know, stuff that just feels uncomfortable. Cause just like you said, it's not like, it's not like emotions just are dead and aren't there. They're absolutely there, but I had no idea what to do with it. So I always just, my conclusion in relationship was always just, Oh, here I am again. When I feel like this, it must mean that you're not the right person. I would tell my partners. So those relationships, my solution was always to just think, oh, you're not the right one next. And I figured, you know, I figured if I just did that enough times, surely I would meet someone who would feel wonderful the whole time. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think, um, you know, I look back and I think that, uh, I mean, I've definitely experienced that. And I know that a bunch of the men that I've, that I've worked with and who have been a part of our community in the past have, have definitely experienced that that feeling of like, I can't seem to access my emotions and, and what's happening within me. So can you give some insight on how, you know, if, if there's listeners that are out there that are struggling with that, how they can sort of start to tune in to what's actually going on past the thoughts and, and into their emotional experience? Yeah, definitely. You know, one really great simple trick that I mentioned in the, you know, the article I wrote for your blog as well is whenever you feel something or you notice you're about to do some habitual thing. You know, for me, it used to be, for example, light a cigarette. You know, when you light a cigarette is typically in response to some uncomfortable feeling. So, you know, we all have our favorite distraction methods. For some, it's reach for the phone. Some, it's light a cigarette. Some, it's turn on the television, whatever. But that's a good time to catch yourself. So, either when you're about to do something like that, or you notice you just feel something stirring inside and it could be anything anger irritation a nut in your belly it could be turn on because you just saw a beautiful lady um, whenever that happens instead of immediately doing something 
is you just stop yourself. Just stop, like stop dead in your tracks and don't do anything for 10 seconds. Like don't reach for the phone. Don't light the cigarette. And you just tune your attention inwards. It's like you do a little scan of your upper body, but inside. Just check for how does it feel when this feeling runs through my system. And you know, you might notice if I was doing that right here as I'm sitting on this chair talking to you, you know, I can notice if I just do that, I can notice there's a, you know, I can feel the energy of my butt sitting on the seat. I have a little tension in my belly, kind of like flutters, a little nervous. I have a little tension in my neck. You know, you just feel it out. And really, it's a great simple way to just begin to make friends with these sensations. Because when it comes right down to it, all the feelings I have, big or small, they're sensations that run through my body. Nothing else. Yeah, I like that because I think that, you know, oftentimes we can make it a little too complex when it, there's there's oftentimes a very simple solution of, of dropping into the experience. Usually what I like to, to add in for guys is like, you know, when you are experiencing some of your most stressful moments, whether it's anxiety, whether it's avoidance, whether it's anger or frustration, you're in it with your partner, that these are the moments where oftentimes we need to pause and take a moment to to sit in either meditation or reflection and just kind of start to ask, you know, what am I so pissed off about? What am I so angry about? What am I reacting to? What am I feeling in my body right now? And where am I feeling it? And usually that's all, you know, I, I like to say that emotions are information, right? So it's it's all information. It's all going to tell us something and, and inform us about something. And what I've found is that if you already have a meditation practice and you're in the heat of a moment where you feel shut down or you feel emotionally reactive, that that's such a good place to just go and sit in that space and start to be able to identify it. Because oftentimes we're trying to tap into that experience outside of the moment. You know, we're trying to tap into that experience a day later or a couple hours after we've, you know, lost it or exploded or completely shut down. And so I think that there's so much merit to doing what you're saying in the moment when we're experiencing it. I think that's that's extremely powerful. So so you talk about in this article, you know, that you wrote for us, which was really great. You talked about emotional fitness. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to un unpack about that? Yeah. You know, I think the first time I heard that term, I think actually was uh, Tony Robbins that called it emotional fitness. And I really like that because, you know, as a as a guy, that was easier. It was easy for me to relate to. And so one of the things I find, you know, we work with lots of men and lots of women, both together and apart, is that, you know, there is there is something to the sort of the rumor that we often hear that women have a much more developed emotional landscape and it's a little harder for men to access that. And in my experience, there is some truth to that. So often what happens in relationship and is that at least in relationships with women, particularly, you know, our women partners expect us to be like them and to access and talk about emotions like them. And most of us don't naturally do that. You know, we're differently wired. And, you know, if you go from it, from the whole brain science angle, how men and women's left and right hemispheres in the brains are connected are different. So often if I'm in the middle of talking, and answering a question, and I'm also being asked to feel something, it's like uh, accessing two different channels, and I can't do it at once. That's a little generalized, but there's something about that. So all that just to say that, at least for me and a lot of the men that I've interacted with, it doesn't necessarily come so natural. And it for some men, it even feels like, I know that's changing, and men in general are getting more you know, more in touch with their emotions. And, and that's just part of the story though. So for some, it's still, it's almost still like foreign territory. And for some men, even it's almost like foreign enemy territory. So the whole idea of emotional fitness, just to come cycle back to what you asked is, you know, I can get that fitness. I can get that. That's an easy metaphor. I know I, I know I work my body to stay strong. You know, it's just so evident why that's a benefit. Emotional fitness, you know, I can get a, I can get my head around that. 
because it's now I can say from this stage in my life, emotional fitness is every bit as important as physical fitness or mental fitness, maybe even more. Yeah, I mean, it'll allow us to definitely connect in a more intimate way with our partner, but also to be able to understand what might be going on in their experience. And so, you know, I was kind of curious when you're when you're talking about emotional fitness and you're talking about some of these tools in order to be able to to drop into this space. Um, what are some of the common challenges? Because you said it, it's it's not normal or natural, maybe for all men, and it can almost seem like an adversary or something that is something that's a challenge or something that's against us. So why why do you think that from a, a physiological or psychological level that it seems so confronting for guys, especially to start to dive into this? Yeah, that that's a great question and a huge topic. You know, if anything, I think it's uh, there's certainly a biological factor, which is, you know, for the majority of human existence on this planet, we have been living in the wild, right? We've been hunters, gatherers and to hunt down a prey, you need to set aside all emotion and focus on one thing only. You need to set aside all your discomfort, all your pain, all your fatigue, and just keep going. Stay focused on the task. So that certainly has been trained into the to the you know Homo sapiens for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So there's that. But in our day and age, I think it's probably more than anything cultural. You know, you gather any group of men. I know you gather big groups of men, right? And you ask them, what what did you hear about feeling things when you were a kid? And they will all tell you that they were raised with things like, uh, don't be a girl. That means don't be emotional, right? Uh, Don't cry. Don't be too happy. Don't be too loud. You know, we've all grown up with lots of that. That's still, even in this changing day and age, that is still totally normal. And the only, for a lot of us, the only acceptable or common feeling in society and in our households were anger. You know, it's okay. We, at least most of us have seen or grown up with some version of angry adults around us, angry dads around us, but not very many of us have grown up with emotional dads, you know, who cry and laugh and jump for joy and shed tears of sadness when something sad happens. It's just not in our vocabulary. So it's it's basically systematically and culturally trained out of us. And that's still the case. It's really interesting because it really is sort of like this paradigm. And I think even a lot of guys, they, you know, they hear stuff like this. And I remember a few years back, before I started getting into some of this work, really, I would have heard something like that and been like, ah, yeah, you know, like men, you know, men don't need to cry. Like, why is it that big of a deal? And, and there was a lot, I think a lot of guys have shame and guilt around, around experiencing that level of vulnerability and that level of emotion, especially with their partner. Like it's, it's almost, it's one thing to do that on your own, which is, which is maybe where a lot of guys will go do it. Or if that's where they let themselves experience or, or in therapy, right. With the, with a, with a therapist or a psych, you know, psychologist, but to do it with our partner seems terrifying. And I think that there's oftentimes also on the flip side of that coin, I think that also, you know, women can struggle to, to hold space or experience a man in that, in that way it can be very confronting for them. It can feel almost un- unsafe uh, from, you know, what I've seen a lot of women communicate. They, you know, they want their man to open up and they communicate that. And then when it does happen, they can be a little bit frightening because maybe, you know, there's probably inevitably some women out there who have never seen or experienced a man break down. And so for them, that can seem like this foreign object. So, so let's talk about, let's talk about both sides. I think what I see a lot of in terms of challenges within a relationship is oftentimes the communication gap between men and women and how oftentimes, you know, men will communicate in a specific way and they'll listen in a specific way and, and women will do the same thing. And this is a generalization, but for the most part, I do see that men and women will communicate differently. So I'm wondering if you can unpack some of those differences and how uh, men and women communicate differently. And we'll, we'll dive into the rest from there. Yeah, definitely. Great question. And again, that's a huge topic all on its own. In general, women communicate for connection and men communicate for a certain purpose. 
for a specific purpose to accomplish something. And this is one of the, like this might sound simple, but this is one of the basic differences that often result in a ton of stress and fights and communication breakdowns. So when my, you know, just when my wife wants to talk about something, she'll start talking and she'll add, you know, the classic, actually, I'll say it like this. The classic example is, you know, my wife and I haven't seen each other all day. We'll come back together. She'll ask, how was your day? How'd it go? What happened? And I, I'll say, it went great. That's it. Another example is when my wife is on the phone with someone, she might have called because she needed to coordinate, uh, say, a date with someone. But she ends up chatting for 20 minutes about their day and their life and their kids and the world. When I call up someone to set a time for a date, I call up and say, hi, hey, how about we'll meet there and there at this and this time? Great. See you then. Bye. I call to accomplish a result. She calls to connect. So when she talks to me, really what she likes is not so much the, what's important is not so much the content of the conversation. It's the energy exchange between me and her. She gets, she puts something out. I take it in. I put something back. She takes it in. She gives something back. I take it in. I give something back. You know, so it's this back and forth of energy, basically, or words is how we exchange it, right? Words and attention. And when I go to communicate, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm just looking to accomplish a certain result, get a certain piece of information out of the way, and then I'm done. So just that one little thing uh, is a huge, can be a huge breakdown point. But also for men, it could be a huge thing to know. Because when your partner, girlfriend, wife, whoever tries to talk to you, don't worry so much necessarily about whether the, you know, there's a result at the end of it. And this is especially true when she's, in your judgment, upset about something. And this is another place where the whole emotional piece comes in. Because one of the things that men get into trouble with all the time is most of us have a very hard time handling the level of emotional intensity that women are perfectly comfortable with. So for her, she might be, when I'm looking at her, it seems to me like she's really upset, really mad, really sad. And because I feel uncomfortable about that, I try to get her upset to stop as quickly as possible. And that's where you get into the situation, you know, that women all over the world complain about. They'll say, whenever I try to talk, he's just trying to fix me. He's just trying to fix it. You know, you I'm sure you've heard that a million times. And it drives them crazy and it creates a ton of breakdowns. And I think what's behind that is, for one, I'm so project and results oriented. Secondly, and maybe more importantly, is most men are really uncomfortable with that level of emotional intensity right in their face. Mm. Yeah. I was going to say like, it's, I think it's something, you know, I like to say that we, we as men often listen. And if we could summarize it with a, with a sentence, we, we often listen with the thought of what's the point, like what's the point you're trying to make, whether we're listening to another man or we're listening to another woman or we're listening to a child. It's like, what's the point? And I even find myself doing this quite often and this this perspective has helped me a lot because once I started to realize that my sort of lens or filter of listening was what's the point, I started to realize that in meetings and, you know, in conversations in the workplace and with especially with my partner, that I was always listening to what's the point and I was missing a lot of context. I was missing, missing a lot of maybe um, emotional needs that were behind mm-hmm. either the the criticisms or the complaints or whatever else was going on. I, I was missing a lot of that. And all I was fixating on was, okay, the, the, the point seems to be that there's a problem. And if that's the point, if the, if the point is that there's a problem, then I need to fix that problem. <laughs> and I missed yeah, no. And really, and really the point is connection. Yes. That it, like that's it. It's yeah. the back and forth. And I know sometimes, of course, there's certain information we need to get to. Sure. But really, when typically in conversations with her, the point is connection. Mm. 
when women are stressed for whatever reason, how they process themselves back to feeling good is they talk. So you, you, that can even now that can even now be measured with hormones and biochemistry. So in order to lower their stress hormones, so to literally lower their stress level, how they do that is they process out loud. They talk and it literally reduces their stress level. But what men do when they're stressed is that we go inside. We go inside and have a conversation in our heads and we mull it over. Maybe we go do something else entirely. You know, we take on some activity, go take a run or go bury ourselves in work or go, you know, chop a tree down, you know, whatever. We run it in our own minds and have the conversation inside to lower our stress level. So you can just see there's like an inbuilt conflict point right there that when women are stressed, they want to talk more and reach out more. When men are stressed, they want to go away more. So you often get this uh, dynamic where, you know, a woman is kind of chasing the guy saying, what the hell? Can't you talk to me right now? Can't you see I need to talk to somebody right now? What's the what's your problem? You'll never hear from me. And the guy is trying to lower his stress level by, you know, I just need a little space. I just need a little space. It's not that I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting. So so knowing this, having this knowledge, because I think a lot of people can resonate with that. I think that 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 lands again, it's it's a generality. But I, you know, I think that it definitely lands for a lot of people knowing this. How do we start to create the connection and have the space? What do we do with this information to bridge the gap in communication. Yeah, that's a hugely important, hugely important task right there. You know, some of the first things that we present when men and women, couples or singles come to our workshops, like is we start by, for one, we uh, present to them what we, most of us normally do that really doesn't work, that we all should just stop doing as soon as possible. And we, we call it complaining. Like com we can, and we actually call it complaining for change, you know, kind of like a, like a movement to create change. Mm. So what we do, you know, in a situation is say you and I are in relationship, uh, you know, you say something like, you know, why don't, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why don't you listen to me or whatever? And my, I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm not listening. I'm listening to you right now. And, you know, or it's, you can take any example, you know, my, in quotes, complaining to my partner might be, uh, you know, am I the only one cleaning up around here? Or could you just not spend so much money on clothes? Or really, you want to send our kid to that school? So in my mind, I don't think it's complaining. I just think I'm bringing up a reasonable problem that we should look at. But you can be absolutely sure that in the ears of the listener, it lands as complaining or blaming or finger pointing or criticism. You know, any guy out there, you can just think about how you feel when your partner says stuff like, dude, can't you clean up after yourself? You know, am I the only adult around here? What, you're going out with your friends again? You know, take any example and you know how you feel when you're on the receiving end of that. Yeah. And really the why we do that is because we we have a positive intention in our communication like that. And the positive intention is that it's going to create positive change. You know, when I say, if I went to say my partner, which I used to tell a lot of partners, you know, after, you know, after three or four or six months, like, why aren't we having sex every day anymore? You know, in the beginning, you were like all over me and now we can go a whole week or two or three and you don't even want to have sex at all. In her ears, it sounds like nothing but complaint. And it doesn't make her want to have sex with me. But what I really, the positive intention I have is that if I say that, I'm hoping that she'll kind of get the message, get the memo and change. But it's a, it's a fantasy that never pans out. Because when we communicate like that, it just never works. You know, when I say, why don't you ever want to have sex with me anymore? That never made anybody want to have sex with me. Quite the contrary. I just got a hell of a lot less attractive. <laughs> yeah. So a great first step in fixing this whole communication thing is like stop complaining for change. That does not work ever. Mm. So that's one thing. 
the other thing, there are two other things I'll say for, you know, positive things to do. One is, uh, you know, to say, I mentioned this in the emotional fitness article as well, is to examine or inquire about my own conclusions. Basically, what do I think it means when? For in, if we just stay in with the relationship examples here, what do I think it means when she says, are you going out with your friends again? Typically, a typical reaction to that is I get defensive or irritated. And, you know, I'll say back, yeah, I mean, I'll say something like, yeah, what's the problem with that? Of course, I'm going out with my friends. You can go with your friends. And now we already, we're already heating up, right? And really, it's because my conclusion about her saying, why are you going out with your friends again? If you look a little deeper, what do I think it means? Uh, I think it means that I'm not free to do what I want. I, as a man, am now not free to make my own choices. She doesn't respect my choices. She's uh, nagging me for no good reason. All of those conclusions create a certain feeling or a mood in myself. You know, you can just imagine if you think to yourself, I'm not a free man right now. I cannot do what I want. Then you're going to want to rebel against that. Because mm. we all have an instinctive, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm a free man. I want to be free. I don't want to be limited. So you're going to rebel against that. And now you're in the unfortunate situation that you're rebelling against her. Mm -hmm. That's not a good thing with, you know, your equal, what should be your equal lover partner. So I'm questioning my own conclusions. And really, like, what do you think is her positive intention when she says, Are you going out with your friends again? Like, if you look a little deeper, what is it that she might be wanting underneath that statement? Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things that my partner, she's a marriage and family therapist. One of the things that she's always sort of talked about and what I've heard her talk about and one of the things that we've communicated about quite a bit is that complaints and criticisms equal emotional needs. And that behind all of those complaints, behind all those criticisms is is oftentimes an emotional need that's not met. And so I love I love what you're talking about because questioning our conclusions is oftentimes going to allow us to dig a little bit deeper to understand like, okay, there's a there's a criticism that's here. I'm making a conclusion about it. I'm making a, a judgment or assessment about about what what the problem is. And to remember that that there's probably something behind that. It's not just like complaining for the sake of complaining. And I love the perspective of of don't complain for change because I mean, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about on on this podcast was what do you see as one of the biggest challenges that most couples face? And, I, you know, I that one, that one right there. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I think that that's it, because I really, you know, from all the couples that I've seen and, and worked with and, you know, even through friends and, and, and whatnot, I see so many of them struggling to connect with one another with the issues that are actually going on in their relationship in a way that isn't complaining for change. And so I love right. I love that. I love just that that sort of like core subject, because once we can realize that we are complaining with the hopes of creating change, then we can start to do something different. We can start to come at it from a different angle. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I want to say to what you what you were talking about, the, you know, unmet emotional needs. We we talk about pretty much the same thing, but we call it the positive intention. Mm. Like the positive intent is she likes to be with me. She likes hanging out with me. And really, that's a pretty cool thing. You know, that's a lot better than if she couldn't stand the sight of me. Yeah. So a really masterful, like a total ninja communication tool is when someone says a complaint like that. Let's just stay with the partner example. When she says it delivers a complaint like that to you, you kind of do the math in your head about, okay, great. I hear what she's saying. What is it that she's really wanting? What's the positive intention here? Oh, it's, you know, it's to be with me. He likes being with me. And you just go straight for it and you just say, thank you for that positive intention. So when my, when she says, why are you go, you going out with your friends again? Like the first thing I'm saying is, thank you for wanting to be with me, honey. Mm. That's awesome. I love being with you too. And, and then we'll figure out what to do with my friends. Yeah. It doesn't mean you shouldn't go out with your friends. It just means receive the positive intention right there. It'll take you five seconds 
and it'll entirely change the course of that conversation and hence the next day or two or three. Nice. Yeah. And I, I would imagine that that's going to unlock and, and reconnect the couple in a way that'll allow intimacy to start to really flourish again in the relationship. Because I think, you know, one of the things that can often happen is, is that over time, you know, the more the people can complain to create change in the relationship, they can drive a really huge wedge between the two of them, right? And they're, they're both trying to, they're both fighting for the same goal. You know, it's, it's funny that oftentimes, you know, people get into these big arguments and they, they start arguing and, and it drives them apart. And, and really what they're looking for is the same thing. Like I, I like to say, nobody really gets into a relationship to fail, intentionally consciously right. like what no. what sadistic person wants to get into a relationship <laughs> and maybe there's a few out there but i doubt that they're the types that would be listening to this podcast but you know <laughs> what what types of person would want to get in a relationship to be like you know what i want to go date that person and i want to screw it up royally i just want to i want to create this <laughs> huge mess in my life and their life and i just want to be hard nobody does that right so yeah. so i love the i like the positive intent idea i think what i would love to touch on now is there's probably a lot of people that just heard what you just said and what we've just been talking about. And they're probably thinking, okay, I've in the past been in a relationship where very clearly that complaining for change, maybe not destroyed it, but definitely drew, drove the wedge in between us and started to um, tarnish the intimacy and started to push us apart and started to create disconnect between us. And maybe there's people that are in that situation right now mm -hmm. in their relationships. Yeah. So, with this understanding, how do they start to connect back together? How do they start to overcome this complaining uh, for change and start to really address the issue itself after the positive intent? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, you you know, one useful way to think about it is think if you're if you're a man in that situation, you have come to that place in relationship where there's just way too much complaint and not enough fun and easy times. You can think about what is different now than when we first got together. And I know for most people, the first answer to that question is, well, she changed. She's a nag now and she wasn't then. Uh, or, you know, she's complaining about it, everything and she wasn't then. We fight all the time now. We weren't then. Yeah, great. That's probably true. But there's more to it than that. So the biggest difference between then and now is then both of us were really generous in our giving. We were very generous in our giving of both attention, of time, and the words we spoke. So, you know, anybody, you can just think back to, you know, when you were first in love, you know, what's called the honeymoon phase, right? How you talk to each other. You would tell each other all the time, you're amazing. I love it when you do that. Thank you so much for making food for me. Uh, you're so handsome. You're so hot. You know, we would simply give appreciations a whole lot. When we talked about our relationship, our conversations were focused on, on the future and on possibilities. And having your mind focus on future and possibilities literally opens your mind for possibilities. You think about what could be amazing, which produces a great mood between you and you're generous. So it's like we move from, that's the characteristic then. Now, you know, if you look at any couple that's sort of in that state of, you know, we're not doing great, we're bickering a lot. What you'll see is that they are now stingy with their giving. It seems to, it seems to both people that it's the other person that isn't giving anymore. You know, like you should be, I'm in relationship with you. You should be fulfilling my needs. You're not giving me what I need. But really in later relationship, when it's like sort of the bickering kind, it's that both people got stingy with their giving and they're waiting for the other person to pick it up again. I remember my wife said she had this, she used to have this fun, uh, like a, you know, one of those refrigerator magnets that said, I want a relationship where we're honest and giving and sexual and passionate and communicative and so on and so forth, dot, dot, dot. You go first. <laughs> so we get, we get stingy with our giving. We try to get instead of giving. 
And you'll notice the we complain instead of appreciate. And it seems like a small thing, you know, and this is a mechanism you can see with uh, for anybody who has kids or you can just watch other people with kids. In the beginning, how parents are with their kids is they are speaking appreciation for absolutely everything the kids do. Oh, wow, you just rolled over on your side. You're amazing. Oh, my God, you just stood up. Oh, I love you. You're so great. Right? How we are with babies and little kids. And then at some point, when they're five or 10 or whatever, the parent's mind shift changes to something like, you should know this already. You should know this already. So there's no reason for me to appreciate you for what you should already know. Mm. And we take that stance with our partners. So really, the the quick fix, even though this is not, you know, it won't fix everything, but to turn it around is you stop complaining and you start sharing appreciations. You find, put your, give your mind the order to find something to appreciate and to say it out loud. Yeah, I was going to say that the appreciation is one of the biggest components that I see a lot of healthy couples implementing. And there's been a ton of research from some really incredible people that have shown that appreciation within relationships actually dictates not only the health of the relationship, but the longevity. So you can, you can, you can kind of tell whether or not a relationship is going to quote unquote make it and whether a couple is going to make it based on the level of appreciation within their communication. So, you know, there's a famous study by uh, Dr. John Gottman, who's the founder of the love lab, who even put a specific ratio to what you're talking about. Like they could actually, they could predict with 94% accuracy, that which is almost like that's almost 100%, right? Which couples were going to stay together and which weren't. And one of the main factors they used for this prediction was the ratio between negative and positive interactions, both verbal and nonverbal. And the one, the ratio, like the minimum one you want for stability is one to five. Mm. So for every negative interaction we have, we need to have five positive interactions to be just stable. That's not necessarily amazing and wonderful, but stable. So really, you can, you know, anybody can gauge, okay, right, in my relationship, how are we doing on that? What's our ratio of negative to positive interactions? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because, I, you know... I- it's one thing to know this, I th- and I think a lot of guys like the data on it, and we we appreciate the insight. And it's one thing to know something, but how do we start to implement that? Because that can seem like, you know, it can seem like a lot to take on during the day, where it's like, okay, I got work, I've got kids, you know, I've got this relationship, and now I have to be thinking about, okay, if I had a negative interaction with my wife or with my girlfriend. Um, or, or whatever situation I'm in, now I have to have five positive interactions. I have to start appreciating them. Like, how do we actually balance that out with everything else that we have going on in our lives? How do we allow this to be a part of our daily practice and become habitual rather than on a daily basis having to think out loud to ourselves like, okay, I have to have five positive interactions with my partner because that can that can seem cumbersome and I know that a lot of men would take undertake it in that way and, and feel maybe a little bit overwhelmed by that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, you know, my my wife and I, we what we do is we do weekend workshops. And I know I know you do groups where people get together. So my I'm what I find the very most effective is to somehow if you optimally, I know that's not always possible, but optimally if you can pull yourself a little bit out of your ordinary routine into a different environment, whether it's just for an evening or a weekend or whatever, that's really useful because it breaks, it helps you break whatever cycles and patterns are already in motion. It helps you kind of step outside of those. And inside of that environment, it's easier to learn something new. And really, the the general answer to your question is, you got to learn something new. Whatever your favorite way of doing that is, sign up for an online class, pull yourself out for a whole weekend, and come to a workshop. Uh, you know, do a week long retreat, uh, or maybe you do a class where you it's like an hour every Wednesday night for seven weeks or whatever. Mm. Like somehow make a conscious choice about okay, here we're setting aside some time to learn something different. Yeah, yeah. 
And, you know, I, and I, I totally, I really get what you're saying about, you know, a lot of guys will take it on as just the next task to add onto my to-do list, which makes it cumbersome. That's, I, I would agree with that. And there's also something about treating our relationship a little bit more like we treat our business or our job, because, you know, you could just think about your own business, right? You, you don't ever forget to go to work. You don't ever forget to show up for a client meeting. You know, if you have a deadline, at least hopefully you stick to it and you deliver what's promised on that deadline. And in that way, it could be useful to think about our relationship a little bit more like our business. Hmm. It, give it the same level of priority. And that's, you know, that's, of course, another breakdown that happens in tons of relationships is, you know, once we've been in a relationship for five years or 10 years, you know, it doesn't. It's no longer at the top of my priority. I feel it's set, so we're good. Yeah. Right? I can kind of coast on that one and give my focus to all these important things in my job or my business or whatever, which is a surefire way of slowly degrading the quality of my relationship. The, the answer to your question is like somehow make a dedicated choice about, okay, great. We're taking some time. The purpose of which is to learn a new way, fall back in love again. In my in my mind, it's pay it's pay it'll pay you off a thousandfold in the future. Yeah, I like that because I think that for you know taking the approach of making it a priority, I think is is what people are actually looking for, regardless of your relationship dynamic, regardless of how long you've been together. I think that oftentimes, you know, when things start to fall apart, it's often because our partner starts to feel like they aren't a priority or that the relationship in general isn't a priority. So, so I, I like that. And I think that there's, you know, definitely merit to, to go into the workshops and tuning into the podcasts and reading the books and stuff like that. And it, do you, do you recommend sometimes just cause we need to start wrapping up and I would love to grab some, some like, you know, tactical tools that, that we can mm -hmm. implement, but do you recommend, you know, weekly check-ins for couples or, or times where they can connect and really start to inquire about how some of these uh, pieces are showing up and what they might need, what might be missing. Uh, and if so, how does that look? What do you recommend for couples? Yeah, well, you know, one super simple way to get to start turning the tide is back to the appreciation I was talking about. We, we tell people, do three appreciations before you go to sleep. Literally, so about specific appreciations about something that happened this this on this day or yesterday and something he or she did and share those as the last ones before you go to sleep. Even if you don't live together, do it over, you know, over the phone or FaceTime or whatever. And like that is one simple, simple way to at least have that kind of check in on an appreciative note before we, you know, drift off to dreamland and start our next day. So that's one thing. And yes, like what you said, like weekly check-ins or daily, if it's not built into your day already, absolutely. Like that's so great. You know, one of the things that happened that's very common for us, all of us in modern life is we're just busy people, right? Life is busy. Life is full. That's true for me. That's true for you. So it's really easy to for couples becoming... They become logistical business partners, really good at taking care of business and forgetting that, oh, we're actually lovers here. We're not just trying to run a household and take care of chores and kids and bills and mortgages and travels and holidays and whatever. We're lovers here. That's why we got together. We turned each other on. So there's also totally an element of keeping the lover aspect of our relationship alive. And there are many ways we can do that, but, you know, simple ones are like still kiss your partner like you did 10 years ago. Stop each other. You know, when you cross each other in the hallway or in the kitchen, you know, you stop your partner for 10 seconds and you kiss her boots off and then you can go on about your business. Like those... I call them touch points. So that's a good strategic tool. Create touch points throughout your day. You know, through a work day, it can be a text that just says, hey, baby, I'm thinking about you. That's it. You know, at home, it's like what I just meant. You know, you stop, stop her in the kitchen and give her a big kiss or just over breakfast, 
shut up for five seconds and look her in the eyes and just hold her hand before you go on to your days, like create touch points. Mm. It's really great. It's really great, Christian. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. I think that all of this is really great insight. There's some really great tactical tools that, that people can implement within their relationship, within their communication, within their listening. And so I think that all of that's really going to help people. Uh, in terms of where they can find you, uh, where would you like to, where would you like people to go to uh, learn more about you and, and the work that you and your wife do? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, our main website is loveworksforyou.com. So I'll spell that loveworksforyou.com. Awesome. Um, and they can find out all about our stuff there. And I, another great place to go for just for men is I have like a, just a simple coaching page for men. It's called powerandheartcoaching.com. And there's a great, you know, there's a freebie ebook you can get there called Seven Secrets to Satisfy Your Woman which has a lot of, has more, you know, strategic tools and simple, simple tricks and tools and insights for how to create successful relationships with women. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Well, we'll put all of that in the show notes below. Uh, for everybody else out there that's listening, uh, definitely check out the website. There's some great resources on there, some great workshops. Uh, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Leave a review when you got a second because it goes a long way in terms of ranking us on iTunes and getting this podcast into the ears and onto the phones of other people. And uh, until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing, uh, signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual.